0: Bureau, I learned about mission and commitment and how high functioning teams can accomplish anything. We learned how important leadership was through easy times and hard times.
1: Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Today we're talking about security and safety for businesses, employees, and stakeholders. Our host is Rain's Executive Director of Expert Relations, Matt Boccia, and he is speaking with Brian Lynch, a former FBI and Vanguard executive with leadership experience in security, risk, law enforcement, and anti terrorism. Lynch is also Rain's new Executive Director of Safety and Security. Let's listen in.
2: Brian, good afternoon. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Matt. Excited to have you this afternoon, excited to have this conversation in large part uh, because this is your sort of coming out to the RAIN community. We're really excited to have you on the team here. Before we jump into your new role at RAIN and what you're going to be doing, maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you're coming from.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Matt, and I am really excited about working alongside such a professional group that we have at RAIN. I will be leading our safety and security offering for our clients as executive director. And prior to joining Rain, I had my own consulting business for about five months. And then prior to that, I was the head of global security for the Vanguard Group for a little over 10 years.
2: And before Vanguard, you did a full career with the FBI, is that correct?
0: That's correct. I was in the uh, FBI for a little over 22 years, just shy of 23 years, and uh, left the, the Bureau, uh, retired, and from uh, retirement went directly to the, uh, the Vanguard Group.
2: Let's talk a bit more about your role at Rain. Where do you expect to be spending your time? Where are you planning to focus your efforts? Uh, and what are you thinking about here as you get up to speed, really, in the first couple of weeks?
0: Yeah, it's a a great question, Matt. Um, As I mentioned before, I'll be leading our safety and security offering for our clients as uh, Rains executive director. And we want to offer to our clients safety and security solutions. As we all know, the role of security heads at firms or chief security officers in today's world It's a very complicated and interdisciplinary type of challenge, and it's today more challenging than ever. And corporate security teams are charged with understanding and protecting against a wide array of threats. And in my new role leading Rain's efforts, we want to help them navigate these challenges with access to the latest information, providing the most effective tools and having the right expertise available to them meeting their particular situation and needs and one last thing uh, you know Rain helps security professionals meet their risk management challenges and access to the latest risk intelligence and world-class expertise is certainly going to be something that we're going to be offering and I'm Looking forward to adding to that expertise as we get going.
2: I'm really interested to dig in a little bit more on some of the challenges you referenced, particularly in today's environment where we are all facing unique challenges that I I imagine most of us didn't see coming six months ago uh, that are undoubtedly going to have profound impact on the way businesses operate, the way security professionals think about their role. Uh, both in the next three, six, nine months, and well beyond that. Uh, I'm interested to get a sense from you, maybe of the top three issues or challenges you see facing organizations in the next six months, uh, and, and dig into each one of those a little bit here over the next few minutes.
0: Yeah, giving this some thought, in my uh, opinion, uh, that over the next six months and, and a little bit longer, uh, there are really three key safety security challenges to keep an eye on for our clients and for me uh, the three are uh, in rank order the lasting structural impacts of COVID-19, employee health matters, and workplace safety and security for the workforce both working at home, and some that are working at their place of business. Um, I think those are the three areas that I believe are the biggest challenges going forward.
2: So let's start on the structural impacts of COVID. Obviously, this is a macro level issue that touches literally everyone on earth, or, or almost everyone on earth. Certainly, Every business that's out there in the market trying to do whatever it does is paying attention and in most cases has been significantly affected by COVID. As we think about the medium to long term beyond the next couple of months, and we think about the lasting change that may very well be in place, how do you see those changes impacting business operations, particularly security operations? And what should security teams be doing now and thinking about today to be prepared to mitigate the risks associated with those structural changes.
0: I, I think firms generally should focus on the well-being of their employees, right? And, uh, and specifically related to security, they really need to be dialed in on identification of any issues uh, in partnership with other areas of, of the company. But for me, it's about keeping a pulse on employees' well-being and let them know as a firm that you care about them. So it comes back to the duty to care. And it's really also about establishing a communications plan with employees and offering them some guidance about how to manage this pandemic and the workforce and the change that we've seen in the location of our employees working from home, etc. And and I think I, I've broken that down. I, I think there's a, a couple of key areas uh, that, that we can offer. Uh, the first is really related to coping. And when, when we say coping, it's cha- it's uh, dealing with the change that has occurred uh, beginning in probably February, uh, early March. And it's about keeping daily routines. and. All the things that you do to keep yourself healthy, such as exercise, eating right, enough sleep, I think the firms can offer that guidance on a continual basis. And then do the things that help you relax. Be mindful of of, uh, your uh, uh, current health situation and stay in the moment and that you're not alone in this. And I think firms can help employees manage that. Uh, the, the second item really is, is making sure that the employees look to the firm to provide credible sources of information and guidance. And I think that's critical really for the employees to know that there's a, a, that, that the company is a, is a credible source for obtaining information about COVID-19 and maybe some health issues uh, that they should be aware of. Uh, you know, work from home may be the new norm for a while. Uh, what does the firm do related to travel? And <clears throat> some firms have restricted travel. Uh, they, they are not allowing their employees to travel. Some have allowed uh, travel. And uh, in our guidance, uh, that really uh, <clears throat> probably should be left up to the individual employee about whether they will take that risk and travel. Uh, but those are some of the items, I think, that, uh, that the firms can offer their employees in a continual conversation with, uh, with, with their employees uh, over a period of time to help them cope and to manage the work-from-home scenario. And the last point, I think, that is, is really needed on this is there ought to be a plan by the firm on what they're going to do going forward. So we want to make sure that the plan obviously involves uh, the ability to reduce the exposure risk as as prudently as possible to the employees. Uh, frankly, because you care about them, right? And that you have their best interests at heart. But we also have a mission to accomplish as well. and And we want to make sure that we do the best to accomplish both goals. And should employees find themselves going back to work, Matt? Uh, you know, there's really three tenets of what that plan should look like. It's about prevention, detection, and mitigation, right? So if it's prevention, we want to make sure that we enforce social distancing, wearing masks, having PPE where appropriate, practicing good hygiene, uh, and then staying at home if you're sick, right? Detection, it's about testing, monitoring symptoms of your employees, and whether you have a plan to take employees' temperatures or monitor their state of health while they're at work, those are some of the things to be worked out in that plan. <clears throat> and then mitigation. Uh, what, what do we do if we find that we've had an employee that's had COVID? Uh, we obviously want to start to isolate and conduct contact tracing and then obviously ask for quarantine if that's appropriate. And firms uh, have really done a great job on this, uh, you know, working from home, if that's available. And then employees are going to have to really weigh their own risks on this, right? So they're going to be looking at, if I go to work, what's the risk to me? I have certain risk factors or I live with my mom and dad or my grandparents, and what's the risk to my family? And then really the last thing is about liability. So maybe some firms are thinking about having their employees sign waivers of liability. Uh, and then w- what are the firms looking to do? They're looking to put together a reasonable plan to protect their employees. And that's the plan that we talked about before. Have it structured, communicate it with, with um, their employees, obtain feedback, and change it and, and be adaptable depending upon what the science is indicating.
2: So Brian, I want to dig in just a little bit on, on the notion of a firm having a plan. Like so many other things in broader business continuity, the plan itself is, is such a strong and such an important resource when it's done right because it guides actions, it, it facilitates communication, and sets expectations for employees. This is obviously a new one. Maybe all but the most robust organizations out there are going to have a pandemic plan. And even the ones that do, it's probably pretty high level. And now that we know as much as we do about COVID, the idea of coming up with a more detailed plan is, is something that firms need to be doing. You mentioned prevention, detection, mitigation, some of the different steps there. What would you say or how would you recommend a firm go about the process of getting one of these plans in place? Who within the organization, whether that's from a personality standpoint or, or different divisions, do you recommend they pull to the table? to build that plan, to make sure it's as effective as possible when it is put into place?
0: Yeah, I think it really requires an interdisciplinary approach. And it would start, obviously, with human resources, legal, OGC, Office of General Counsel certainly needs to be there. Global Security Representative obviously needs to be there. And business contingency. I think those four are, are really the main components. And I really think that you need... Uh, someone from uh, executive leadership to either sponsor the development of the plan or to be part of the process to develop the plan and then to communicate the plan. Um, and it's really critically important that uh, the firm is obviously listening to its employees, either through surveys or feedback uh, requested, and they're obviously looking to the science that is available, uh, whether that's the CDC or the National Institute of Health or Infectious Diseases. There are a number of guidelines out there, and then you can take that information and use that as a baseline to develop your plan around the three tenants that I talked about before.
2: And you mentioned employees needing and in an ideal world being able to receive credible guidance from their firm. I mean, I think that's so on point given the volume of information about these issues that exists today, and so much of that information being not credible. uh, And there's being so many rumors and conspiracy theories and bits of data that are not founded. How do you recommend firms think about establishing good, continual, credible information flow to their employees? Is this as simple as a newsletter, setting up a page on the company's intranet what do you think the levers are that an organization can pull to at least give its employees one credible place they can easily go and get the information they need to make good decisions
0: yeah i really think that that's a critical part of what the firm the company can do for their employees because we've all done our own research on this Uh, the information is available for anybody to go out and, and, re- and look at. <clears throat> and What you'll notice is that you'll have certainly uh, conflicting information, unvetted information, uh, non-peer-reviewed information, and I think a lot of folks, including me, are looking at this and saying, okay, where am I going to go to obtain the, the rock-solid gold standard of information that I need to make decisions for myself? my employees, and my family. And I really think there's an opportunity for firms to to have that, uh, to take that, that on uh, from the perspective of providing, whether it's a site on the intranet at a company that is updated, uh, if it's not uh, every other day or every day, uh, uh, or it's an email that's sent out, uh, or there's uh, uh, virtual town halls uh, on occasion that can be sponsored by uh, the executives uh, and, and communicating to the employees about what's best practice uh, and in providing the sourcing for that information that they obtain. And, you know, we all, we all want to stick with the, the main players in this, right? The CDC, WHO, uh, National Institute of Health, the National Infectious Disease uh, area. Uh, maybe some universities, uh, Johns Hopkins and other sites uh, and sources that can be culled into a document that provides information that would be actionable for people to review, employees to review and consider in either designing their own processes for their own home, uh, their own family members, or what the company should follow as far as the the right uh, actions to do for the employees. But I really think that this is something that employees, I'm sure a lot of of companies have already done this, but it's really critically important, I think, that the employees see the firm as stepping into that void and saying, hey, you know what, this company really cares about me because they've done this on a consistent basis and they provide me the sources and, and everything that they've told me is the gold standard.
2: Yeah, certainly a great opportunity—not just to assist your employees, because that's always the right thing for organizations to be doing, but to generate some credibility and some goodwill with your employees in the process, which is which is always a bonus thing for, for organizations to accomplish. I want to move on to the second challenge you referenced around employee health issues, um, and at the beginning of this conversation, you referenced coping mechanisms and how the organization can help its staff sort of stay on stay on program and, and continue to navigate these changes that that lines up pretty closely with some of the mental health issues you referenced. Uh, and I'd like to talk a little about that. So, so I'll turn it over to you.
0: Yeah, it's a great segue into, I think what the second challenge is going to be, which is to ensure that the firm has a pretty, pretty good grip on the, uh, status of their employees from the perspective of how are they doing during this crisis because this is a crisis Um, it's something that you can't plan for uh, prior to it occurring you can certainly have plans in place but the impact is certainly severe enough that it's going to impact operations on a global basis and and we see that from employees having to work from home and having to really adjust everything that they were used to uh, pre-January of 2020. So it, it certainly is something that firms, uh, I'm sure, have done, uh, need to continue to do, and that is have the mechanisms in place to ensure that they recognize when some of their employees are struggling with coping or stress uh, and and being able to care for them from the perspective of Understanding that there are some issues, and then using all of the tools available to that company to assist them in coping and helping them get through that particular issue, whatever that might be, and uh, and and this is this really affects every person because every person handles stress in a different way, and over a period of time, stress certainly impacts. The, uh, the, the ability of, of people to actually perform either their job or interrelate with their family members. And, you know, we talked before about coping and making sure that, that you're able to do the things that make yourself healthy, right? We want to make sure that there's a routine around exercise, eating right, and getting enough sleep. So we want to be able, as a firm, to understand when our employees are struggling and uh, what, what, uh, what we typically want to see is that handled in a number of ways. It can be handled by uh, managers, leaders that recognize that maybe some of their employees are struggling. Uh, it can be handled uh, via just simple phone calls to human resources by the person saying they need help, right, self-reporting. Uh, or others that may be working in the firm that recognize that there's a problem with maybe Johnny or Sally and that, you know, I'm just giving you this as a heads up. Uh, some firms have enacted uh, hotlines uh, to provide anonymous reporting. So however the firm has decided that they want to manage this on an ongoing basis it is, is certainly a step up. And, uh, you know, the most important thing, again, is to identify when somebody is having some issues and then providing all of the tools available to that firm, whether it's mentoring, whether it's having conversations with a counselor, with human resources, whether it's uh, having an employee assistance program that allows an employee to reach out to the services that are available at in that particular area of of offering Um, and you know we really want to be able to uh, to provide that information to the employee as well and and you know we've seen companies send emails out or have town halls and say look if you're having uh, issues coping if there's issues related to stress you know here are the tools that are available to you
2: so yeah this is a tough one i in my experience it's tough for organizations to really get this right, even under the old operating tempo where everybody's in the office every day. It's just often difficult for peers and managers to detect when a coworker is having a hard time. Obviously, sometimes it's not hard. Some, some people are, are more open about those things and, and share with their colleagues or, or would self-report, use a hotline, etc. But so many examples we can think of where that sort of thing didn't happen and there was a real problem right under the manager's nose or or right there in the next office over. That set of challenges has been exacerbated by the fact that we are all now distant from one another every day. So I'll ask you the tough question. How do firms think about this already challenging issue through the lens of these extraordinary times and the distance that now separates all of us every day when we're at work?
0: Yeah, that certainly is a a heightened challenge, and it makes it even more Difficult and more complex. I I think what what we're what we're trying to counsel is, is that there ought to be a heightened awareness around making sure that we have the uh, ability to identify when somebody is struggling. And, uh, you know, companies still have meetings. They still have assignments. They still have the ability to get the job done. Uh, albeit not in a work environment like a uh, office building. Um, but there is interaction uh, between employees, between managers. There are assignments. Um, and, and through that conversation and those sorts of social interactions, uh, we hope to pick up on something that seems a little bit out of the ordinary for that particular employee. And I've always said that what helps this is that the manager or leader really understands the employee that they're responsible for and understands, uh, you know, gets to know them and gets to know their family life, uh, gets to know uh, what motivates them. And uh, having said that, when you see a change, uh, then that should not be ignored, and uh, you know we, we've we had some pretty good experience with that in my former uh, position at Vanguard and it, it's a collective team effort it's not one specific responsibility of the security global security department or HR or legal or the manager it's a collective response and the, the key is is to identify the indicators. And, uh, you know, I think that there are uh, pretty established indicators of concern that the managers can pick up on. We're not asking managers to become psychologists, but we are asking them to understand that if there is a change in the way Johnny or Sally is acting, uh, you know, it might require a little bit more conversation around, Hey, how's everything going? Is there something I can help you with, et cetera. And that conversation will lead to hopefully either the mitigation of whatever the concern was or the elevation of that concern to somebody that can help that person. But it's really critical. And, I, you know, this is not a punt situation where uh, just because it's hard to do, we can't do it. I, I think that we need to get to a point where we're mindful of what needs to be done. We've got our feelers and our tripwires out there, and we just need to be dialed in on any changes that the employee might have.
2: You talked a little bit about shared responsibility in the context of particularly these shifted workplace dynamics. I think that delivers us nicely to the the third challenge you referenced when we talk about workplace and employee safety. Um, Obviously, things like workplace violence have long been concerns for organization. It's another set of difficult to address challenges. Uh, But I'd like to talk a little bit about how you view that and the role of something as traditional as training, but applied to the work-from-home environment and what other steps organizations can be taking or what other changes they should be applying to their workplace safety programs to account for the fact that many, if not most, of their employees are no longer in a centralized workplace.
0: Yeah, so this this is really a... Uh, a a focus of a lot of companies uh, pre-COVID-19, obviously. And it has to remain a central focus of companies as we work through this pandemic because the stressors have increased, obviously, for the reasons that we've already talked about. And, you know, when you add stress to a situation that might be volatile in the first place, depending upon the person that you're, that you're dealing with, uh, whether it's an employee or a customer or a vendor, uh, um, this is really, really critical for the firm to get a handle on. And, you know, it's a good segue to go from the, the mental health aspect of, of focusing on helping people to now getting into the, a scenario where now we have a, a possible situation where somebody uh, might do harm either to themselves or to others, and uh, you know I think that there's there's a, a number of of key component areas that that need to be discussed. Uh, the first is the, the ability to have as part of the planning around dealing with these types of threats, a threat assessment team. Threat assessment teams are developed for the internal issue. So it's an onboarded employee that might exhibit some issues relative to uh, threatening others or having some indicators of, of violence. And the threat assessment team is, is key to managing that uh, as quickly as the information comes in Uh, as we discussed before, and there are a number of factors that can be addressed uh, in helping uh, the particular individual get through that stress or that issue. Uh, The the, the second component part of this is really the the threat that comes from outside the company, uh, either against the company uh, based upon what that company does, uh, or about an executive that has been uh, highlight it in some fashion, uh, and then uh, groups or an individual might feel compelled to lash out uh, protest, and it's much more than protest. it's a direct threat uh, to a particular person. And it makes it much more difficult, obviously, uh, as we discussed, to identify those in this type of structure that we find ourselves in. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we can handle that uh, in, in, a, in a situation that involves training, uh, again, around uh, how do you deal with uh, a situation should you find yourself in an active shooter situation, for example, uh, how do you deal with that? What, what are your actions? What are your options? And, and we have uh, programs that would help companies uh, plan and prepare their employees for that. Uh, if you're handling the second threat the challenge as best as you can then the third challenge uh is less likely to occur uh and that's why you know these two are so synergistically together on 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 the ability to identify and then manage and then mitigate Uh, and it's not just uh the training piece right so uh whether that's uh a town hall virtual or whether there's a a, a webinar uh, or whether there's um, specific tailored training to groups of, of folks by uh, somebody that has been considered an expert in that field uh, talking about how do i deal with that sort of situation because you know we've seen active shooter situations since uh, the pandemic has uh, has has arisen so it's not this is something that's not going to go away, and we, we have to be able to to prepare our employees for it. But the workplace safety is much more than that. It's, it's how do we handle, if we have to terminate somebody, how do we do that? And how do we do that in in a way that reduces the exposure risk, the threat risk to the firm? And then how does the firm handle crises? Have they identified crises that would affect their company, their industry? Do they have a plan around crisis management? And then how does the firm handle travel security? Uh, we talked a little bit about that before, about maybe firms that have restricted travel uh, or maybe they've left it up to the individual employee. Uh, but, but how does the firm handle travel security and what resources are available to provide the security and safety of employees while they travel? And then the last piece, really, that, that deals with uh, workplace safety is pre-screening. Uh, we want to make sure that we that we help firms uh, if uh, it, it, for those that are uh, continuing to hire in the pandemic and once the pandemic is over, of course, they'll be hiring and build a world class process. And we want to limit the risk of negligent hiring. Uh, so all of those items in a workplace safety program will limit the risk of a, of a company or a firm uh, and and provide the comfort to the employees that they have processes in place to manage and to mitigate these risks. Well, thanks,
2: Brian. A lot there, and I'd love to spend some time unpacking a few of those, but I'm mindful of our time today. Uh, And and I do want to circle back to where we started, uh, and I want to be really careful that we don't just breeze by your background. You've done Some pretty impressive things, no doubt, over 20 plus years at the FBI and standing up and running Vanguard's security apparatus for a decade is in and of itself an incredibly impressive accomplishment. And both of those experiences have no doubt given you an enormous toolkit of resources that you're now going to be in a position to bring to clients and use alongside those clients in their process of mitigating risk. And as we think about wrapping up today, I'm, I'm just curious, how do you feel those experiences have informed on your views about
0: corporate risk management?
2: And how do you think those experiences have prepared you to help organizations going forward in thinking about their own risk issues?
0: Yeah, thank, thanks, Matt, for that question. I, I think it's, a, it's an excellent question around, uh, you know, wh- what is it that we're going to bring to our clients and, um, you know, I, I, in my career, I've been loath to talk about myself, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in, in this way. Uh, I've been lucky in my career to work with such great people, uh, first in the FBI and then uh, at the Vanguard Group. And from my perspective, it's always been about the people. In the Bureau, I learned about mission and commitment. and and how high-functioning teams can accomplish anything. Uh, And my time on the SWAT team uh, with the FBI only enhanced that. We learned about ranking crime problems and priorities and committing resources to the highest-ranked priorities or risks. We learned about how important intel is to inform the strategy and have the best information available to us to accomplish our mission. We learned how important leadership was leading people through easy times and hard times. You know, we focused on the right priorities with the appropriate resources. We developed strategies to accomplish the mission as a team. And so I brought that experience of 23, almost 23 years with the FBI to the private sector at Vanguard as head of global security. And I applied what I learned in the FBI to that private sector sector company. The mission was different, of course. The approach was a little bit different. But at the end of the day, we were trying to protect people, places, and data. It was about building high-performance teams across the globe. It was about setting the mission and the strategy. It was about ranking priorities and risks. It was about developing an intelligence program to inform our decision-making. It was about how important leadership was in executing on our eight-phase strategy across the globe, but also obtaining buy-in from C-suite executives. And you know, I was lucky, uh, CEO Tim Buckley was committed to having the security and risk function, particularly related to protection of people as the number one priority in the security arena at Vanguard. So we are lucky to have that support. And having said that, you know, I'm prepared now with, with our entire risk team to assist our clients in meeting the security and safety challenges, not only of today, but of the future through the concepts I learned and excelled at in the Bureau and applied successfully in the private sector at Vanguard, and now to range clients moving forward, focusing on their challenges with the latest information, most effective tools and programs, and the right expertise for meeting their needs and requirements.
2: Well, Brian, I want to, again, offer you a really heartfelt welcome. I I think I confidently speak for the whole team here in saying that we're really excited to have you on board. I know I personally am looking forward to working with you, and I look forward to the next time we can sit down and have a conversation like this. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I did too, Matt.
1: Individuals and organizations turn terrain for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. If you like what you heard today and would like to learn more about Rain, go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a member today. Rain members get access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book, email digest, expert content, and much more. So go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a member today. Thanks for listening.